Welcome to today's episode of Sam Talks Telehealth. Today I'm interviewing Samson Magdid, the CEO and co-founder of Snap Health, which is a remote patient monitoring company. So let's get started. All right. Awesome. Samson, I'm so glad to have you here today on Sam Talks Telehealth. We've met through LinkedIn and a variety of different places through also through an innovation challenge. So welcome to today's episode. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Now you, you know, I do this as like quick, quick talks and you've been in the RPM space for several years. So in the remote patient monitoring space and you and I have seen, obviously a lot of people um, come in more in the last year and things like that. When you look at it, what do you think has been the biggest reason for the expansion of remote patient monitoring in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm sure everyone has seen this, but what changed the game is payment parity, um, especially when you're talking about the provider market, right? Um, if the providers can't get paid for the work that they're doing when it comes to remote care, it's going to be very hard to drive adoption. So I think when CMS came out with new reimbursement codes or unbundled actually a previous one in January of 19, expanded in 2020, um, I think that changed the whole game initially as a baseline. Even though that existed, it was still very early on and people still weren't, the adoption rates were super low. I think the second thing then was COVID. Um, you can imagine when you have a fully remote world, um, the adoption of remote care technology obviously naturally uh, had a, a, a forcing function, right? I think there was a, a need for that versus a, you know, oh, it sounds cool, but maybe we'll just keep doing what we're doing. It was a, it was a necessity at that point. Um, and I think the third point, I kind of used like the grandma test, right? My grandmother's 93 years old. And during COVID, um, she was exposed to a tremendous amount of technology. She can use Zoom now. Her ability to be comfortable using that has changed. And, and now, quite frankly, she expects, I think, to be able to engage in a virtual way. So I think when you have payment parity, um, you have the forced adoption with a pandemic that none of us could force, you know, foresee. And then the patient slash consumer, whatever you want to call them, um, expecting it now, it drives all those things at once and it creates a huge acceleration, I think, in remote care technology and, and adoption widespread. Yeah, I love that. And I think like, you know, probably you just like me, we see all these articles about like this much money in remote patient monitoring or this or that. And, and people always say, oh, it's because now people figured it out. And it's like, no, payment came first, right? It's the same problem we still have in the video visit side of the house. Until that's really permanent, it makes people nervous. I also love the analogy of like my grandma test because the 93-year-old the women were using it pre-pandemic, but there was still this stigma like they can't do it or they won't like it. But I think this just shows again that that's, that's not the case. It's actually quite the opposite. We actually find that when we're working with elderly populations, even 75 plus, we're finding they don't want to get off the phone with us. I mean, we literally have patients on the phone with us, taking us into their car with our nurses and continuing to talk to us, which is awesome. I mean, we, we were we were pleasantly surprised, I think, in, in that regard. Yeah, and Samson, I think what you said, that's super important. There continues to be, there's like these variety of stigma in healthcare, right? It's like mental health stigma, old people can't do remote care, or they'll think it's invasive. But the reality is they feel connected. Now you actually have someone you're talking to on a regular basis you actually have a relationship with. Yeah, I think you hit the nail. The word connectivity is a word we use all the time. Um, Prior to COVID, maybe not so much. It was a little bit Big, big Brother-esque. I think now, though, the connectivity is a, is a security blanket for them, and, and uh, they love it. I mean, it's the, it's the word we use a lot, too. It's like the patients need to love the program or else they will drop off eventually if they're not seeing real value in it. And um, I think a lot of 
companies that are entering the space right now sometimes lose sight of that because they're looking at, oh, generate revenue, generate revenue, generate revenue. But guess what? If the patients don't love it and they don't stick around, there is no revenue to talk about. Um, and, and I think that's the kind of mindset change that a lot of companies need to really think through when they start getting into this space. Yeah, I think that's super, super important. So now we're going to go like way out. So obviously you and I have been in this space, you know, well before COVID and see the different kinds of innovation. So when we're thinking about remote patient monitoring, if you think of clinical interventions or different clinical diagnosis that maybe aren't as commonplace right now that are, that people use RPM for, what would you say like in the future, what would be some out of the box things that maybe even now if you suggest them, people are like, oh, that's crazy. But I always want to hear those things. For sure. I mean, the main ones obviously are lifestyle related chronic conditions. I think that's a no brainer. You talk about hypertension management, diabetes management, obesity, heart failure management. But if you th start thinking about it, think more than just those core use cases, which are very common. And there's a very large patient demographic that has those conditions. I mean, we work with a lot of nephrology groups. Um, I think that's a specialty that um, there's a tremendous need to, it's again, going back to what is the vital sign that they're already looking at today. For them, it's blood pressure. You have a lot of patients with end-stage renal failure and you have to monitor blood pressure. And um, that's actually been a, a really common use case for us today that I think a lot of RPM companies aren't targeting. So I think nephrology as a whole specialty is a really unique um, use case that we're finding a lot of success and traction with. I also think oncology is one, um, not only in looking at vital signs, I'm sure you've seen and, and anyone listening has seen, but there's new proposed codes for remote th uh, therapeutic monitoring in 2022, and that's about system management. So you know, when you look at oncology, there's a lot of things with patient reported outcomes, um, which expands then into like musculoskeletal health, what's pain, you know, pain management and being able to monitor people's mobility at home, which can cause pain and symptom management that way. Um, and so I think, you know, that's a really unique use case that could, be, could definitely expand into um, to monitor people's mobility at home. Um, and oncology, again, like I said, I think is one that there's a large demand for that. Patients are, you know, you need to monitor their weight and then a lot of the symptoms while they're home as well to make sure that the chemo and the titration is done properly. So um, those are two use cases, I think, that we're, we're starting to see a lot of interest in um, that is typically not being implemented and at the level we'd, we'd probably want to see. Yeah, I love, I love all three of those. And I think what's interesting, what'll be interesting on nephrology is especially now that CMS changed their rules around really trying to encourage home dialysis, which in other countries where you have more um, uh, nationalized medicine, they do more home dialysis because it's efficacious and lower cost. So now if you have more home dialysis, now we are going to want more monitoring because when you're in a dialysis center, you can monitor them then. So I love that idea and linking that to how do we look at home dialysis. And I hadn't even thought about oncology because yeah, there's going to be so many side effects and things of your chemo that if you had much better stats on people over time, you'd have um, a lot better information. So I love both of those. And then one I've thought of a lot, which I think some people are starting to look at, but I think still think it's a pretty interesting one is uh, uh, maternal fetal, like high risk maternal, right? Yep. We have such because of the increase of diabetes, then we have all these high risk maternal. And if we could monitor them better, then we could really handle that whole pregnancy in a very different way. 100%. I mean, preeclampsia is a, a major you know, concern for a lot of uh, you know, expecting mothers. So I think that's a really great use case as well when you start looking at blood pressure and monitoring and, and diabetes monitoring for, for uh, expecting mothers. So for sure, I think that's an interesting use case. 
Yeah, I love it. And I think what's what I love about HealthSnap and companies like you is that the longer you've been in this space, the more you actually understand what all the use cases are. Because you and I know, you know, it's traditional heart failure, diabetes, COPD, like, and those are great. And we don't, we want that to continue to expand. And we want the RPM programs to be run in a way that they really get the health outcomes, right? Because it's easy to have RPM with really not a ton of benefit, but if you build it right and have the support, but having groups like you who can really take us, what's the next level? what's the next things we should be looking at, I think make a huge, huge difference. And, and more in finding the right partners too. I mean, we work with some premier health systems around the country that have those, all the expanded use cases. And they say, well, what else can you guys do? What else can you do? And they actually come to us and say, hey, you know, this makes sense. Can we do it here, here, here? And they'll bring in the chief of those divisions. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really exciting. And it's an exciting time where major systems are centralizing around virtual care first. And I think it's, again, um, it takes some courage to do that up front as a, as a, a first mover, but um, there's, there's adoption happening now that we were not seeing 12, 15, 24 months ago at all. Yeah, I love that. I think that is exciting. And I do think for health systems, you know, very risk adverse. And I, you know, I think all of us in this digital health space would say, you know, the pandemic has been a blessing to us and really moved us 10 years forward because it forced healthcare to realize Yes, of course, we still need human touch and we need physical exams. We need all of that. But all this remote technology can do much more than the clinicians. I think you and I knew it, right? And there were a certain group of people who knew it, but this really exposed people on a massive scale that we wouldn't have got without something you know, horrific like a pandemic. 100%. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, we, we use the phrase, we help you supercharge your care teams in a virtual first world. And um, it, it's true, like you can make a nurse work and in, in I mean, they can be home and they can manage hundreds of patients while they're home and the efficiency levels that you can get out of, you know, working a, an employee to the highest level of their license is, is very real. Um, and I think that's a really understated thing that a lot of RPM or telehealth companies should, should lead with when they're talking to provider groups. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, so I always kind of throw in like a not exactly in your scope um, kind of question, but so this is a complex question, but I love your simple answer. If you could change one thing in the American healthcare system, what would you change? Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the, the American healthcare system. I think it's more about innovation in the system. Um, there's billions and billions of dollars being poured into digital health right now, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and a qualm that a lot of people talk about is, well, where are the outcomes? Like, why are we not seeing this rapid innovation happening in patient outcomes? And why am I still calling six doctors or waiting in a waiting room? Um, what I think is happening in a lot of the digital innovation space, especially, is that people are scared to work with providers specifically for some reason. Um, I don't know what it is, but they typically will go after the payer market, the self-insured employers, pharma, but the provider groups are typically overlooked. And what I see as a, a gap or a challenge in what's happening is that they're, the provider's getting cut out of the equation when they should be uh, front and center. I mean, they're the ones that are driving the care. They should be included in design thinking and feedback and, and advisory boards and committees. And um, I think that's a challenge to a lot of digital health companies that are entering the space to, to Think about the provider market more as, hey, they're not there to knock it down and they're, they're, they're just risk averse, you know, whatever, and then they're going to move really slow. But if you actually get them and bring them to the table, they're your best friends and they will help you go to another level, I think. And so um, I think that's a, a major gap that, that I see is, is um, 
we try to have the provider firmly in the center of the equation um, with the patient and, and then we're just working around them to, to as an extension of what they're doing already, not trying to replace them and not trying to, you know, kind of be us versus them, but it can be with both of us. And um, I think that's something that I see as a, a big problem right now. I, that is really insightful and very accurate. Cause like I always say, you know, if you're going after any kind of digital health service, if you don't have provider champions, you don't have a program, like don't even, it's like, Oh, nice to meet you. I'll come back in six months and find someone else. Right. Who that provider champion. And so you looking at it from the, from the startup venture innovation space saying, make sure you have providers there. And I think what's interesting is is that in our fee-for-service model, what happens is, is the startups and the tech companies that if they can't find that ROI right away through fee-for-service, then the path to success and payment is through the payer or through the employer groups. And so you brought up something that's very interesting and that I think also is really, really important. If our providers aren't at the center, who's taking care of the patients, people? It's the providers. It's the provider. Couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Samson, I have to thank you so much for coming on today's show. Sam Talks Telehealth. Um, we're, you know, everybody, HealthSnap, reach out, uh, remote patient monitoring company. We love what you're doing. You've been in the space a long time, which makes a big difference. So I just want to thank you for coming on today's show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And it was a pleasure. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Have a good one. Well, that was a super fun episode. I love talking to innovators and different people in the space, especially who've been in the space for several years. So if you enjoyed this episode of Sam Talks Telehealth, please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast so you know when we drop the latest issues. And we'll see you back here on the next episode.